Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, uh, you can go and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we are actually starting a whole series through the Gospel of Matthew, so it's not just because it's Christmas, though it, it's good timing. Uh, we'll actually be in Christmas for about a month, so we're going to celebrate this thing in January also. Uh, but Matthew chapter 1 is where we're heading, and we're, we're calling this series uh, The King and the Kingdom. Uh, and, and you'll see why in a few moments. But as I was working on this this week, and, and of course Christmas is coming up just a couple days, I did find out by experience uh, that, that even this morning there's some things you can order on Amazon Prime and get it before Christmas, so that's a bonus for you. Uh, if you. Maybe by now it's too late, so you're going to have to go old school and fight the crowds, but we'll pray for you. Uh, if, I mean, that's on you if you've waited this long. So, uh, But uh, I was thinking this morning about my, my mother. My mother passed away about seven years ago. Uh, but she loved Christmas. Like, like that, that was her jam, right? Like she, she loved from, from, as, uh, from all my life, my, my mother would, would just go all in with Christmas. She would decorate. She loved the lights. She loved the music. Um, like, I mean, she wasn't a psychopath. She started after Thanksgiving, but, uh, she, she, but, but after Thanksgiving, it was on. Like that's all we listened to. It was the lights. She would drive us around at, at night to see the lights. She'd drive us downtown to see the lights at the Capitol building, uh, we, we would watch movies. Her favorite movie was The Christmas Story. Uh, I think it reminded her of her childhood. And so uh, I, I just, one of my earliest memories, uh, I was probably about three years old. And uh, we were living in the mountains, and uh, she handed me a, a catalog, a toy catalog. So before this thing called the internet, there was catalogs. And so she's like, Christmas is coming up. I didn't even really know what that meant, meant but I, I knew that there was a catalog full of toys. And she said, uh, Mark, see if there's a few things, in here, uh, one or two things that you'd like in here. And so uh, just let me know. And so I got down on the kitchen floor, uh, and, and I began to just marvel over this catalog. And so when, when, dinner, was, when dinner was prepared, she said, all right, what, what'd you come up with? And I handed the catalog to her, and everything was circled. I was like, yeah, I, I like it all. I'll take one of everything. Uh, is that how this works? Because you asked, and I said, yes, this thing. And, 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 and man, she, she, she worked hard to do that. Like, uh, she, she loved her kids, like, getting, getting her up early and before the crack of dawn to go open presents. She loved the look on our face that when we went down, we saw that, that Santa had been good to us that year. And so we were all about it. And, um, like, just my whole life and into uh, with her grandchildren. She just would just love to pour out Christmas blessings. Now, now it wasn't because everything was good and right in her life. Like, it, it, in fact, it, it wasn't that. It was, I mean, she was a single mother trying to raise two kids. She was trying to uh, get balance financially. She, financially, she struggled. She was trying to balance a new career with, with raising kids and getting us to daycare. And uh, like, like she was way, way away from her family and her friends and her community back in Kansas City. Uh, like there, there was a lot of brokenness uh, surrounding the family at that time. But, but Christmas was, was just this moment. It's a moment for all of us. It's the reason why we watch the same movies every year. There is just, even though all of us come into this room, even in this moment right now, there's, there's things that aren't right. There's things that aren't quite put together. There, there's brokenness. There's addiction. There's, there's suffering. There's anxiety. There's stress. There's, there's all those things. But, but Christmas comes around, and we watch the movies because we, we, know, we, we long for Eden. 
We, we long for things to be made right. We, we long for, this is the year when I get the Red Rider BB gun and I won't sh- shoot my eye out. This is the year where my workaholic father is going to welcome me back from making toys in the North Pole and, and, and welcome me into the family. This is the year where Grinch, the Grinch isn't going to steal Christmas, but he's going to come see the meaning of Christmas and his heart is going to grow three sizes this year. This is the year when uh, the family drama is not just going to come up at this Christmas table. Cousin Eddie's not going to come. Uh, I'm going to get the bonus from work to pay off the pool that I already put the deposit on. This is the year where all things are going to come together. Even though we know it's not... We, we know that that's what we long for. That, that, that's what we hope for. We, we hope that this is finally going to be the moment. Finally going to be the time where, where life is as it should be. And, and so psychologists have identified something called the post-Christmas blues. Like this is a real thing. That, that, that the lights come down, the, the wrapping paper's on the stri- side of the street, the kids have gotten tired of the, the gifts, and it's January 2nd, and... and and you just kind of the, 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 the blues come on. But, but what if, what if all that hope, all that joy, all that, like what if that was sustained beyond a seasonal time, but, 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 but longer? That, that really is the true promise of Christmas. And, and it's the hope of Christmas. And, and as we look at Christmas in, in Matthew's gospel, we're, we're going to see that there, there is a, a way there is a way that even in the brokenness of this world, there, there, is a, there is a king who's come to set up a kingdom. Oh, it's already here, but it's, it's not all the way here. It's a kingdom that's, that, that's here and but not yet. And so we live in between where things have begun to be made right, but they're not quite there. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to open to Matthew chapter 1. If you've been with us over the last several weeks... Uh, 12 weeks, we, we've been working through this series called Framework that, through the entire Old Testament to try to give us a framework and, and a sense for all the promises that God has made that, that are going to come true. And in Matthew chapter 1, we begin to see that the promises start to come true. Now, I, I'm going to read the first 16 verses, but I'm going to invite you to not check out. <laughs> there, there's going to be a lot of names Strange names from a strange time with a strange people. And if there's any part of the New Testament that you're going to be tempted to skip, and I'll admit it, several times in my reading, I'll be like, okay, I don't understand those names. Let's get to the good stuff. But, but, but I want to show you, my hope here this morning is that there's good stuff on every page of God's Word. There, there's good stuff in the names. In fact, uh, there's, there's, there's good hope in the names. So I'll, I'll, pray, I'll read and then pray, and then we'll, we'll begin to dive in to see what that good stuff is. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, I ask you to listen carefully. This is God's Word. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Ruth, and Boaz the father of Obed by, I mean, Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife Uriah. 
And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Oh, I lost my spot. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Sorry. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. I told you it wasn't easy, but we'll get through it. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we do pray now that, especially in these passages, Lord, you give us eyes to see, that you stir our affections for you. Do that which you delight to do, Holy Spirit. Make much of Jesus in our time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, what you need to understand as we get to Matthew chapter 1, it, it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are gospels. They are the story of the life of Christ, the story of, uh, of God. Come down, Emmanuel with us, put on flesh, living his life of perfect obedience that you and I could never live, to pay a price on a cross that you and I could never pay, though we deserve to, to, to and to rise again, to conquer death in the grave. That's the story of all four gospels, and yet each gospel has a different emphasis. Each writer has been radically transformed by this gospel. And they desperately want to get it out, but they have different audiences in mind and different emphasis they, they want to put forth. And so Mark, for example, wants to talk about Jesus as the suffering servant. He's writing to Gentiles and he's saying that there is a king, uh, that there, there is a God. He came to suffer and die and to save you from your sin. Luke, a historian and a doctor, he, he wants to talk about the, the humanity of Jesus. Jesus as the Son of Man who came to set the captive free and, and, and release the bonds of the oppressed. And so he's going to focus in that area. John, John is concerned with the cosmic nature of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the co-creator of the universe. And he wants to show that this God came to rescue you and me. Matthew... Matthew wants his people, his, his fellow Jewish citizens, to come and see that Jesus is the anointed one, the, the Christ, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises, that Jesus is the king that, that, that was promised to David and he has established a kingdom. And so Matthew is obsessed with showing Jesus as king and, and us as being part of his kingdom. And this is why we're going to call the series The King and the Kingdom. He wants to invite us to live out our citizenship as kingdom citizens and to come before the king and worship him. Now, if you're a Jewish writer in the first century writing to Jewish people and you say the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the one that everyone's been waiting for has come, then you better be able to prove that he came from two people, Abraham and David. And so uh, he, he, he gives this genealogy. Now, again, to us, we, we don't really think much of genealogies. Most of us couldn't name our great-great-grandparents. A lot of us couldn't name our great 
grandparents. We have a very myopic, very uh, temporal view of our, our lives and, and we have a kind of a microscopic view where, where our lives and our time is all that matters and it, we kind of focus down on this and, and our problems get really big under the microscope and, and what, what Matthew is doing for us first and foremost is, is saying, hey, take away the microscope, here's a telescope. There's some things that God has been working on for thousands and thousands of years, both going in backward and for eternity for the future, that He wants us to plug into. And there's three things, I think, in the, the, the genealogy that God wants to stir our affection to help us to see and savor this King. I don't know if you caught them, but the first one is that, that I would say that, that the reason why we have this now and why it's important to us now is that this is good news not good advice. You notice what Matthew does? He doesn't start like a fairy tale. He doesn't start like Star Wars in a galaxy far, far away, once upon a time. He, no, he grounds this story, what he's about to tell in the next 28 chapters in real history with real people's lives, with real victories and real, real failures and real sin and real all of the mess that is life, he says, in the midst of this, there is good news. It's not good advice. Oh, oh there are, there, there's a billion ways to apply this to our lives. And, and the Bible has good advice. But first and foremost, the gospel is a proclamation of good news. And every other religion in the world, and, and sadly many churches, have made the central point of the Bible be about advice. So you should do this. This is how you should do Like if you do the right things and you pray the right prayers and give the right offerings, then you get to go to whatever vision of heaven there is. But that's not how Matthew starts. See, advice is different than news. News is a proclamation, and good news demands a response in light of that news. Advice says, do this to get this. News says, this has been done. Now rejoice with your Savior. So, for example, uh, if, we, if there was an invading army, and we knew they were rolling into town, they were going to come to Parker, and the U.S. government, they would send us some military advisors. That's what we would need if the war was about to roll through here. And they would tell us, here's how you set up your lines, and, and you put your snipers over here, and the mortar goes over there, and the barbed wire goes here, and the tanks are going to be here. We, we would want that advice. We would take that advice. But... Now imagine if there was a good king who has conquered his enemies and he, he wouldn't send advisors to Parker. What would he send? He would send messengers carrying good news. We saw last week the word messenger means Malachi. He would send a Malachi to us. Uh, in the New Testament, the word is angelos. He would send angels, messengers to us to proclaim the good news because we wouldn't need good advice. We would need to hear the good news that, that the good king has defeated all his enemies. And in light of that news, we should respond and live like we are set free. Good news changes everything. Or it should change everything. This week as I was preparing, I thought of uh, a Japanese soldier. I got a picture of him on the screen here. Soichi Yokoi. I think is his name. Let me, uh, I don't have my notes. So, Soichi Yokoi. Soichi was a, a Japanese soldier during World War II. Uh, Guam was a U.S. territory until the Japanese took it over for three years from 1941 till 1944. In 1944, the, the Americans came and, and uh, liberated the, the Guam. The Japanese forces retreated. But Soichi and nine others got disconnected from the retreating Japanese forces and they went into the jungle. 
And they hid out in the jungle. They hid in caves. And for seven years, they were hanging out in the jungle, hiding in the jungle, living in caves, setting up rat traps and and trying to fish what they could, just trying to eke out an existence. They had no news that the world had fundamentally changed in that seven years. They were living in light. uh, 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 They they weren't living in light of what, what the real news was of the world. Somehow, I'm not sure, I read many articles, I don't know how they found out, but, but they found out in 1952 that the war was over. And, and nine, the, the nine people that were with Soichi walked out of the jungle and re-entered into society. But Soichi didn't. He said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. I'm going to hold out for Japan. And he continued to live there year after year after year after year till 1972. He's living in the jungles of Guam, hiding from civilization, trying to eke out an existence. And the only reason he came out is because, I'm not lying, a guy by the name of Jesus, well, Jesus, who was checking his shrimp traps one day and, and came upon him and surprised him. So Ichi turned and attacked Jesus, but Jesus subdued him and brought him out of the jungle. And he re-entered society. And in fact, he got to move on with his life. I got a picture of him after that. Here's him now coming out of the jungle. But what a waste. For 28 years. Barely getting by. No community. No life. No anything. When he could, if, if he could have just received and believed the news that the world had fundamentally changed. So the vast majority of the world just needs to hear that the news, the king has come. He's established his kingdom. And that will be enough. But then there's others that, that know the news. And they are still holding out. They'd rather live in a hole in a cave than embrace that news. But, but what but we see here first and foremost is this is good news, not good advice. This is a proclamation of a king who has established a beachhead. And, and Christmas is a foreshadowing, thank you, for, is a foreshadowing of the rest of the gospel. We tried to take God's place and we couldn't. So God came and took our place. He's the one that came out into the cold and was born in a stable. We deserved it, but he came. So that's the first one. It's good news, not just good advice. But the second thing that we see is that this, in Jesus, all the promises that we've been looking at for the last 12 are, are, have either come true or are coming true. That's what Matthew's trying to say. And so Matthew starts with David and Abraham. Verse 1, he says, This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And immediately, if, you're, uh, if you understand your Bible, if you're a first century Jew, you're saying, this is the one that has been promised. Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. God brought Abraham out of the land of Ur and said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And so from the very first words of Matthew's gospel to the very last words of Matthew's gospel, there is going to be this global kind of kingdom vision that that the kingdom is going to go to all the ends of the earth. And it starts with Abraham. He says, also the son of David. See, David had received a covenant from God as well, saying that that through you and through your offspring, I will, will raise up someone who will reign on your throne forever and ever and ever. And so those are the two things that you had to show if you were going to say the Messiah had come. And then he goes on and he tells the story. We can read about their stories. But what's interesting here is the genealogies serve like a a modern day resume. 
So resumes, you know, if you were to write your resume, what would you put on your resume? You'd put good stuff. Like you're not writing about the time you flunked out of that school or you, you got fired for embezzlement over here. Like you scrub that and you're like, look at my resume. Aren't I wonderful? And everyone else that would try to uh, prop up a so-called Messiah, that's what they would do, of course. You want it all good, but, but Matthew doesn't. He, he doesn't scrub it clean. He tells the story. And, and as you're reading these stories and, and the people that would have read these, the Jewish people who had these stories memorized, they would think, man, that person was a good king, but that guy was wicked. Oh, that guy had some problems. And more and more they would go through this, but, but, but it's going through the line and it's showing that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises, but in a surprising way. Because if you're reading this in the first century and Jesus has already come, died, resurrected, and gone, and this guy's trying to tell you Jesus is the promised one, and you look around and you're like, well, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. It looks like Caesar's still on the throne in Rome. And my life is still kind of a mess. And there's still a lot of brokenness. So I don't know what you're talking about. The Messiah has come, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It doesn't make sense. And maybe even in this room right now, you've, you've tried to follow Jesus for a while and, and your life isn't better, it's probably worse. And you're like, well, what, what about the promises? The, the scripture says that if I fall, I'll have abundant life, I'll have all these things. Well, this, this is because the third thing that Matthew wants to show us. First is that it's good news, not just good advice. And secondly, that the promises do come true in him, but that the kingdom that is established is unlike anything we could ever think of or imagine. It's a kingdom that is here, but not quite here. Uh, It's here, but not yet. But this king is not like any other king who rules by fear and intimidation and domination. This is a kingdom ruled by grace and mercy and love. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom where the first are last and the last are first. It's a kingdom that hasn't fully been realized but has been established already in Christ the King and in His coming. But that's why it's important that when Matthew writes the genealogy, he doesn't scrub it clean. Notice he he puts all the names in there. But but that's not just it. It'd be one thing to put the names of all the guys in in Jesus' genealogy. That's all you would be required to do. Uh, No self-respecting first century Jew would put any women in a genealogy. Just there was no respect for them. There there was no, like like that would be uh, an an anti-argument for this guy being the Messiah. But notice that Matthew does that. Did you catch that? That there were four women listed in Jesus' genealogy. But again, even there you could pick better women. The, the, The women that that Matthew picks and interjects in there are, are incredible. They're Gentiles, probably all four of them are Gentiles, meaning they're not part of the covenant community of faith. They, they all have a, uh, some scandal surrounding their lives. There is a, there's an air of, of, of sinfulness, both with the men and the way the men treat them and the, the women and, and their, their sexual morality, for example. Look what, look what happened here. So in, in verse 3, it says, And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. So every time he inserts into a woman, insert, inserts a woman, he says, by Tamar. Now, we know this from Genesis chapter 38. Judah, one of the, in the line of Abraham, he has neglected his responsibility to care for his daughter-in-law. His son has died, 
And, and he has a responsibility to care for her and give her a new husband. And he neglects it. He mistreats her. And so she comes up with a plan. She knows he's traveling to another city. And so she goes there and her plan is, I'll dress up like a prostitute and I'll sleep with him and I'll have his baby. And that's exactly what happens. I mean, the level of brokenness on both sides of that equation, right? Like, what is Judah doing going into a prostitute? What is she having to do just to get her own, to be provided for herself to do this? And that's, that's Perez and Zerah. Well, you, you go down and, and, and it continues to shock, uh, it, it continues to show the scandalous grace of God in the line of Jesus. Verse 5, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Here we go. Now, she wasn't just acting like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She ran the whole business. She's in Jericho. She, she's, uh, again, a Gentile. And she is used by God to preserve the people of God. And she's inserted into the line of the Savior. We see that God is sovereign. In, in every way, these people are trying to mess up the plans of God. And they can't. <laughs> like, even their wickedness is used by God for his glory and our joy. And so that, that should just comfort you right now. Like, you cannot mess this up. God is going to be good to you in spite of you. And so we, we see Rahab is, is blessed to be part of the line of the Messiah. And then Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Ruth, she's a Moabite, one of the enemies of God. Deuteronomy tells us that a Moabite cannot enter into the people of God for the, to the 10th generation. Like, they were the enemies. They were wicked. And, and yet, she's being grafted in into the line of the Messiah. And she spends a morally questionable night at the feet of a guy named Boaz. But the, but, but the most scandalous of all is in verse 6. It says, And Jesse, the father of David, the king. So, so on the one hand, Matthew is, wants to remind you, David, the king. David, the king, like the best king. He's, he's our, our best king. We thought maybe he would be the one that would fulfill all the promises to Abraham. David, the king. But, the, but go on. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. It's not a slight against Bathsheba. It's a poignant reminder of the wickedness of even King David. Uriah Uriah was one of his best friends. He was a Hittite. He was a Gentile. But when David was fleeing for his life, he had some mighty men that he called them. These guys that would go to battle with him, that would lay down their lives for David. They loved David. And Uriah was one of these guys. Like a best friend kind of guy to him. And then later in his life, David sends Uriah to go fight his battles. And David is looking down from his palace and he sees Bathsheba, David's, or Uriah's wife, and he says, I like that. I'll take that. And through force and coercion, he brings her into her home and they conceive a baby. He says, well, this is not good because I'm going to be found out, so comes up with a plan the plan doesn't work out and he goes to a last resort like something that you would be shocked to read on the news he has her he has Uriah his friend murdered and so Matthew's like hey yeah and David the king oh by the way who gave birth to Solomon who whose wife was Bathsheba you know that whole story right people of God what is he doing there this is a kingdom like any other kingdom it's a kingdom that says, hey, this is a kingdom that everyone is, is welcome and everyone needs. 
No one gets to this kingdom on their own. Doesn't matter if you're a king or a prostitute or you've sold out your best friend and had him murdered. You need the grace and mercy of this king. So it's a kingdom for everybody. So it's good news, not good advice. It's, it's a promise at all. It's a, a fulfillment of all the promises and it's saying that this is a kingdom run by amazing, scandalous grace. And that's what Matthew's going to start to unfold over the next 28 chapters. Now, now who, would, who would want to tell this story? Well, only those that have been rescued by radical, scandalous grace. Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. What that means, we read about it in chapter 9 of his book. What that means was he was the lowest of the low. There were sinners and then there were tax collectors. These are the worst of the worst. And they were. I mean, they literally sold out their country to get in bed with Rome to extort their fellow citizens and family members for their own gain. Matthew, that was Matthew when Jesus rolled up on him one day. And Jesus said, hey, I want to invite you to a kingdom. And he was radically transformed. The only way this message is going to leave this wall is if you understand your great need for the king and his kingdom. If you think you are only saved by a little bit of sin, then you're only going to have a little bit of gospel for the people in the world. But Matthew was radically transformed. I think there's one more thing for us 21st century people, 2019, especially in the U.S. West, that this passage has for us. We, we have, a, we have a, a rugged individualism. We, we like to pride ourselves on, we, we, we can do it on our own, especially in the West. Like, we have a pioneer mindset. So we don't know our grandparents. And yet, anyone here ever take one of those DNA tests, like 23andMe? Anything? You guys took it? Anything surprising? Interesting? What, what was surprising? Well, I was always told I was like half Norwegian, half German. Okay. Not German at all. <laughs> like okay. Norwegian, and I had some Irish. Okay. Other, like, just Interesting, though, right? Yeah, like nothing that was completely, you know, like mostly Norwegian, but yeah. It was, nice. I was no German. I think nice. less German than I was Irish. Well, there you go. No so you learned something about your history, your roots. What, what about you? Anything? We had an uncle we didn't know about. You had an uncle you didn't know about. <laughs> there you go. That discovered that, right? Yeah. So I've read several articles on this this week. Uh, 30 million Americans have taken these tests. And, and by far, like statistically, way out of bounds. Like Americans are the ones that take these tests. Why? Because even though we pride ourselves on, we, we, we make our own way, we, we are individuals, we, we have our, there, there is a deeper longing to be connected, to find our roots that the rest of the world doesn't experience like we experience. And so we go to these tests and we discover things and there's, there's just something about saying, man, now I know. Now I know a little bit. I know just, a, just even a little bit helps uh, kind of give us some kind of anchor to our souls. But, but what, what Matthew is showing us, even for us non-Jews, for Gentiles, in the inclusion of the women and in this story is that you have now a heritage that goes back 4,000 years. Like there is a place to find home. There is, a, uh, there is a, a line to point to and say, that's my line. The king comes to that line and he has made me his family. These are my people. That's where I'm from. And so we see that we get to go back. We get to look at the telescope in our line. In fact, uh, it, to the Roman church, 
Paul will write, you Gentiles have been grafted into this family tree. We're part of the family now. To the Ephesians, I have it on the screen here. The Ephesians, Paul writes this. Ephesians chapter, I have it on the screen here, Hannah. (laughs) He writes this to the Ephesians. He says, remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is our story. Uh, Verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And in chapter 3, he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospels. The reason why the genealogy is so important is because it's now your story if you are in Christ. You've been invited to a king and a kingdom. And, and that's going to be Matthew's purpose for the rest of the book. This is an amazing king, full of grace and mercy and truth. And he's invited us to be citizens that live in light of that kingdom. So as we go into 2020 and things get crazier and crazier the closer we get to the election, my hope is that we would rise above that. That Matthew would say, yes, there are things that you should do in this world, but first and foremost, your first allegiance is to the king and the kingdom. What would it look like to live as citizens of that kingdom first and foremost? How might we impact the kingdoms of this world? That's what I want to pray about. That's my prayer for this book. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the good news. that You just didn't tell us to do a bunch of things because we could never do it on our own. But you came and rescued and redeemed. Well, thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. And even when we are faithless, And the people in this genealogy were faithless. You were faithful to see and bring Jesus about. Thank you, Father, that in you, Lord, we're invited into a kingdom of scandalous, amazing grace. Lord, help us to walk as people living out that grace culture to one another and to this world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.